0: welcome to the dr finlayson fife interview archive we are so glad that you're here don't forget to visit the website and take advantage of the christmas sale now through christmas all of the courses are 20 percent off with additional discounts available when you buy multiple courses i asked a group of parents who are really struggling with their children mm-hmm. and these children um, this group of parents that i had either they have a child that's left the church Mm-hmm. or one that is they're um, just questioning their desire and ability to stay and mm-hmm. the parents are really struggling in different yes. ways in these with these um children that they have so i i limited it to several but it's a pretty good representation of all the questions that were asked sure. and we'll see how many of them we can get through in the next 30 minutes or so right Um, So the first question was, when you have a child that leaves the church and adopts a different lifestyle than you have or the one you hoped that they would have, what can you do to maintain a positive influence in their life?
1: By loving them. (laughs) I mean, you will always have a positive influence if you genuinely care for them and care for their well-being more than you care about reinforcement of yourself or your, you know, professed beliefs or even your way of life if you just care for them and they know that's true. Now that's easy to say that, well of course I love my child, but are you willing to really be involved in their life and express your care for them even if they're making choices that distress you? Um, You know, my brother left the church and was also making choices that were really harmful to his life and really unwise choices for quite a period of time. And I have to say my mother was really like remarkable in many respects because I watched her, like I know that it caused her pain to see him make the choices that he made. Uh, I, I know that she felt disappointment and some self-judgment around, you know, am I a part of these choices? But she always knew he mattered. She always held his value as a as a genuine core aspect of her relationship to him. I mean, it wasn't like she was pressuring herself to do it. She would call him regularly. She'd care about him. He knew it was true that she cared about him. He was, like inactive, he had substance abuse problems. He uh, was unfaithful to his his spouse, and uh, you know, after fifteen or twenty years of that, really, he decided he wanted to come back to church. Mm-hmm. And what was really striking for me is that he had no pride to swallow around. That is to say, he understood that he could just come back. And he would continue to be loved. He didn't have to prove that his choices had been anything other than what they were. I'm not sure if I'm explaining myself well. He didn't have any ego to defend, because he hadn't been treated as an outsider. Does yeah. that make sense? I don't know how yeah. if I'm articulating yeah. what I saw my mother do so well. So he just was able to say, I want to come back, and he did. Mm -hmm. and and um so i i think she did a good job of holding that you matter above any of the choices even though he knew that she didn't think the choices were good for him he knew it too frankly i mean they both do it (laughs) yeah
0: there's another question that goes along with that one that Mm -hmm. is so how do you love your child without condoning what they're doing I mean, I think it's
1: just that it's not about you should do this other thing that makes me comfortable. It's more about it's concerning for me that you're doing what you're doing, because I worry about its impact on you. Right. It's Mm -hmm. like for my brother, you know, it was like, I love you. And I'm, I'm worried about the choices you're making and their impact on your life and your happiness and your well-being. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, I need you to go on a mission and do these things to make me feel like I'm the right kind of mother. That's different. And kids can sniff that out right away. Is this about my parent just wanting me to do things the way that they think, but they refuse to know me? they refuse to know why i'm different why i don't want those things why i see the world differently that's when i think when kids come up against that it doesn't you can say you love me all you want but if you refuse to know me and understand how i think differently than you do well then it's cheap it's cheap love because you're just mm-hmm. saying you love me but you're going to basically stay in, mired in your perspective only mm-hmm. right which is a little different than you know, with my brother, I think he did know in his core that his choices were, had a self-destructive element to them. Um, and so it wasn't, it's a little different than you're not doing things the way that I want you to do them. It's it was like,
0: for your safety and your, yeah, your for your, your honest
1: well for your, right, exactly, yeah. for your well-being, irrespective of reinforcement of any particular, yeah. you know, choices I make. So I I think you can, you want to really be careful about saying I love you, but because you want to make sure that your love extends to really knowing and understanding your child is asking the courageous question of why have you chosen differently? What do you, what do you think about? How do you think about this, that it doesn't make sense for you? It's meant a great deal to me. It's given me an anchor in my life why is it not been that for you and i don't mean it in this like judgmental way like why is it not i mean like help me understand right. how you see the world differently
0: right because again
1: that's the hard work of love
0: yeah and in asking that question just being totally willing to receive whatever answer you get yes and even, even if it's not the one you want exactly and it's probably not going to be the one that you want actually that's right that's right um, but I think sometimes that parents get they tie in like approval of the lifestyle and with love. And I think that yeah. that's when they get a little bit confused and not knowing when when they ask the question, like, how do I love them without condoning what they're doing? Yeah, they're putting approval in there somewhere in defining how they're loving their child.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think especially an adult child, I think it does. a a great deal of good to a a relationship with an adult child to truly let them be the architect of their lives. It is their responsibility at this point. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that you can just, you know, you have no role in their lives. Of course you do. But I think your primary role is to know them, to care about them, to offer your, you know, your energy and your, Um, care for them, but really let them sort out their lives. That is their work, and I think when parents are too involved in trying to get their adult children to walk their path, they infect the relationship with judgment and rigidity. You know, I remember having a conversation with my mom at one point when I was, you know, like, had young children, and I was just expressing my difficulty with the temple at the time, just saying, I just don't feel like I can uh, make peace with it. And I just said, I don't want you to be disappointed with me, but I I feel I can't right now. And um, I remember my mom stopping me and just saying, this was before I was doing any podcasting or anything like that. She just stopped me and she said, "Um, Jennifer, like you don't need to apologize to me or explain yourself to me. I see what a good human being you are. I see your earnestness. I I see you wrestling honestly to sort out your relationship to what is true and what is good, and I have no judgment about it. I have my own things to work out for me, and that's on you. So she was just making a clear distinction between, like, I trust you and I trust you in your spiritual endeavors. I've got my own work to do. Yeah. And that was just such a kind thing to to say to me. It's um, because it wasn't there was no judgment. And it was like, I believe in your ability to work out your relationship with God.
0: I think a lot of parents struggle to get to the point where they can just release that and let it all be in the hands of their child and say, I've got my work to do and you have yours without making that child's choice mean something about them. Exactly.
1: I think that's a a big
0: struggle for a lot of parents.
1: A thousand percent. (laughs) And yet so critical to do it because it's what makes it, you know, it's why I'm close to my mother, you know, uh, it's because I'm able to be who I am. And, you know, even though we may think differently about things, there is a freedom because there's not a need to control who the other is.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Hopefully that we can all start working on ourselves and get to the point where we can
1: we can work on our own growth and let our kids right. do the same.
0: So many of us are trying,
1: and this is a lot what I was doing with my son, is we're trying to get them to be the evidence of our goodness. Yeah, And that's not love. That's using your child to reinforce you. Mm-hmm. And it's a very easy thing to do to com- to complicate the question of your responsibility with having your child reinforce your view of yourself. And the faster you disentangle that, the more loving you can be. And the more you can know them without meddling or distancing from them because it's hard to know them.
0: Yeah, it's often easier to see that in somebody
1: else than it is to Oh. See yeah absolutely believe me i'm good at pointing it out in other people i work with but yeah myself my son had to point it out
0: (laughs) well luckily he's had a mom that taught him to point those out
1: (laughs) yeah exactly
0: well let's go on to the next question that says recognizing recognizing that we are co-parents with our heavenly parents sometimes it's difficult to strike a balance between what we need to do to bless and strengthen our children and what we can expect God to do, and sometimes we feel we do too much and trust too little, and sometimes we feel we trust too much and do too little. So, do you yeah. have any suggestions or
1: thoughts about that? Uh, just that I respect that the difficulty of that question. <laughs> I mean, it sounds kind of a cop out, but it, it, it's it's a real it's a real challenging question. If a child is struggling, is it trusting in a process, or is there something I need to be doing? And I don't think there are easy answers around that, especially with teenagers, young adults. There's there's a lot of development that needs to be on the shoulders of that emerging adult for them to really find their strength and find their capacity. And knowing like, am I under-involved? Am I over-involved? I don't know that there's anything easy. And it's easier to see Maybe in someone else, or think you see it. I don't sure that we necessarily know. Um, and my son, the same son, said to me just recently, You know, I appreciate how much you were looking at yourself to see if there was something. But he said, Honestly, I just think I had to go through that process. There wasn't really going to be another way for me except to kind of go into that struggle to figure out more about who I was. And and he may be right, he may not be right. I certainly think there were things that I was doing that didn't help. But um, I guess what I'm trying to say is parenting is noble work in part because you are so often reaching through the dark trying to figure out what it means to love this unique child with their specific challenges, strengths, um, um, and desires. And then what does that mean here? And I think a big dose of self-compassion and compassion for your child is part of the the trick, (laughs) Mm -hmm. is to just love in the face of the not knowing. I think a lot of us want some idea, like if we're trying, everything will work out and it will all be great, and that's the evidence that you did it right. And I'm not denying that doing things wisely is gonna yield a better reality than doing things in a arrogant or blind way. But that said, so much about loving and living in an imperfect and fallen world is to just tolerate that sometimes all you have is compassion for yourself and the other. Yeah. And that's not a small thing, that's a big deal. Yeah. But it It can be sometimes Yeah, it sounds simple, but it could be like exactly the thing that stretches you. But it's also the thing that helps you find the anchor you actually need. But it's not necessarily that everything works out in the ways you had expected.
0: Yeah. And when things don't work out the way that you expected or hoped, it's really easy to turn that blame on yourself and say, well, I've done something wrong. This was my fault. And then, you know, you can't turn back the clock. So then you're stuck with. Yeah. I'm going to feel guilty for the rest of my life because I caused this. Yeah. And I think so. I think when you say like finding self-compassion is huge.
1: Yeah. Well, and kind to your child. Because if Every time you see them, you feel a pang of self-hatred. How are you going to feel about them? Yeah, because (laughs) that pressure comes through in your interactions with. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so I do think a big part of spirituality and love, is self-forgiveness. Forgiving yourself for what you didn't know, for what you didn't yet understand. Forgiving life for its profound imperfection. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's really strangely where our spirituality is, is in having compassion towards ourselves in our flawed and emerging state. And so you want to learn from your past. Is you're foolish not to you want to take what you missed where you were blind and integrate that into yourself so that you don't make the error again you want to spare yourself and others the same suffering but to sit around and beat yourself up for what you didn't know at the time i think is not a great way to live there's it doesn't yield anything good
0: no mm-hmm. and it just focuses your future on your past so yeah. you're, you're just like you're never in mistakes. you never get past it and grow and And learn. That's right. Yeah. Um, Let's go to another one. I have a couple here that are really specific instances. So there's a parent who says, um, they're struggling to maintain a healthy relationship with a child who is a young adult. And they thought that in their perception, he had a really good childhood Mm -hmm. and they did everything that they could to give him a really great home growing up. But Mm -hmm. since he has left home and gotten married, he is seeing his growing up years at home and in the church as traumatic. And he used Mm -hmm. the word traumatic. Mm -hmm. He's very defensive and angry when they try to talk to him about anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's telling himself now a very different story about his childhood than what Mm -hmm. the parents are perceiving as reality.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, I would definitely not try to prove to your child that they're wrong because you're just gonna get entrenched in a meaning battle and you actually drive the other person more deeply into their position if you're trying to prove that they are getting it wrong. I would first say your child is probably taking this position for a reason, some of which may be true and good, and some of which may be self-serving in a not good way. That is like they may be, you know, taking some comfort in a kind of victim position or identity that's not necessarily good for them or necessarily tied closely happened. But I would definitely not start with any of that. I don't know that I'd ever say that. I think what I would be doing is to say, you know, the way you're talking about, tell me what was traumatic for you about it and really seek to understand. Mm-hmm. Don't try to be understood. Just seek to understand it. Just like Stephen or says yes exactly just like that that really like think of yourself as you really want to know what the world looks like from your son's position because that in and of itself is an act of love it is an act of kindness you will see things you didn't see you'll understand things that were hard for him that genuinely were it will inform your understanding of your son and your understanding of yourself but it will also if it's and I don't, I'm not saying do it for this goal, because then it's different, has a different meaning. If right. you genuinely are trying to understand your son and you genuinely care about his experience, it will soften him. Right. It's like mm-hmm. it will soften how he thinks about. You know, there were these things that were hard. There were also these things that were good. And I did appreciate that you did A, B and C. That was valuable for me. This piece was hard. And it got harder when you know blah blah blah. But I know you know I don't know how to say it. It's just that fact of being understood allows you to not get entrenched in the part you think is not understood, and integrate a wiser and more complete picture.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it goes back to a lot of what we've been talking about in the knowing the other person. Yeah, being willing to go to a to a place that might be difficult. Yeah. Uh, and in an introspective way, yes, in an effort to know that other person, and this and this exactly. and that other person is your child,
1: that's right. And just lose the phrase, yeah, but I mean, like, <laughs> I am not here to prove you got the wrong idea. Help me understand how you've had that experience. Mm-hmm. Now, if you think there's something that doesn't line up about it, you could say, Help me understand something because you're saying this, how does that? Uh, you know, how does that intersect with this piece? Not to challenge them and poke holes in it, but to honestly increase your understanding of that child. Mm-hmm. And if that's your intention, they'll know it and they'll feel it
0: and it yeah. will bless them. Yeah, so much of our communication is not what we say.
1: So oh, yeah.
0: it's, it's so much, it comes out in, in every other aspect of our way of being somebody else so you can say the right words and not have the right meaning behind it and they're still gonna they're still gonna pick up on what your true intention is if you don't that's right
1: clean up your mind ahead of time that's right yeah sometimes i'll be like with clients and i'll be saying i'll be saying something in a different way and they're like yeah 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 that's what that's what i meant to say you know you're just more eloquent than me and i'm like, No. It's not my words. It's that I'm in a different mind and you haven't yet addressed your mind and how you're actually in relationship to your spouse. Mm -hmm. So the words expose the mind, but the words can't cover the mind. The mind Mm -hmm. will always expose itself.
0: Right. Well, and that directly feeds back into the the discussion that we had on LGBT with the they and those people versus the we and us. That's right. Because the language that the the mindset that you're coming at somebody with is going to show up in your language. Yes, that's right. It's going to automatically exactly. show up. Yeah. OK, we've got um, two more questions. One is another really specific question. And this is for this woman has a daughter that's a little older. She's in her mid 30s now. And she said she left this daughter, left the church at 19 years old, but she's always struggled with embracing her sexual identity, not in a, in a wondering if she is on the LGBT spectrum, but just Mm -hmm. in her own sexual being and herself Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because of what she experienced in her growing up years at church. Mm -hmm. And the, in the, this is the daughter's words. She said, I experienced trauma at church, like little t trauma, she said, Mm -hmm. and felt dread, fear, and terror. And I was always afraid I was going to make a mistake and be eternally damned. I didn't really Mm -hmm. know what the rules were and I was always struggling to follow them. But if I ever made a mistake, there was no way back. Mm. And now this daughter struggles with depression, suicidal ideation, and has never Mm. felt like she was worthy. Mm. And the mother feels just really sad that she could she didn't convey a way of living the gospel to her daughter that was really beautiful and joyful. But she Mm -hmm. and at church, she got the idea of the hard parts of the gospel and didn't ever really get to experience the joy of it. So she wants yeah. to know like how, like knowing like, that's how we used to address things so many years ago. And that's yeah. not driving with our kids now. Yeah. So how do we change things now in the way that we talk about them at church and at home?
1: Yeah. Well, one thing I would say is there's a difference between how to say it, that how people take in information has a lot to do as well with where they are, how they think, you know. Um, you know, I just remember a friend of mine and I would sit in the same church meeting and we'd come home and have very different interpretations of the meaning based on our own lived experiences, our own histories and so on. Right. And so if you're someone who is somewhat prone to perfectionism, somewhat anxious, somewhat inclined towards self-doubt and and a sense of not being enough. I think there's a kind of of a native difference in people where some are more like, it's not my problem, it's your problem. Okay, that has its own challenges. Others that sort of assume that there's something they're doing wrong. So to be in a church culture that can be perfectionistic, behavioristic, you know, very much in this idea of, of sin as reducing value, which is often kind of implicit in how many of us speak at church, that that can be very hard on a very conscientious or scrupulous child. And so that's that's unfortunate. And And that same kind of narrative can be Probably pretty good for somebody who struggles to consider their impact on others, you know. But but often it's the ones that are very sensitive that are absorbing that and in a way that works against their spirituality. Yeah. So I think if I were the parent of this child, my concern would be much less about whether or not they go back to church, because I, I think church right. is just one way of living the gospel. The, the bigger goal is can I help my child step into a a spirituality that's actually truer to what is in relationship to God than how she's come to understand this relationship to our ideals. Mm -hmm. So I would be saying, you know, I, I would be saying, you know, the more you can learn to live in a relationship of self-compassion and believe in a God of compassion, the freer your life will be. And these ideas that you've internalized are not, are wrong. I mean, they're limited. They are off. Um, They're, they're constricting your life, not expanding it. And you are hard on yourself, but the truth is, is that maybe not the God in your head, but the real God loves you, knows you, values you, has compassion for you. And the more you can understand and let yourself believe that the more you will feel some freedom in your life. I might as the parent be looking at have I had a role? you may not because you can have a child who's on the anxious self doubting side and you can be constantly trying to be the antidote to that. And it still may not work. But but have I offered a view of God as sort of rigid or demanding or or very concerned with behavior and not looking on the heart or have I communicated a God that looks on the heart through Mm -hmm. how I relate to my child through how I relate to myself? uh, That's the piece that through your own self awareness can be an antidote.
0: Yeah. And I think it is always good to remember that we all hear our own versions of what's happening before us. Absolutely. And we don't, lots of times we don't truly know how our children are internalizing things until they become older and are able to express that because they just don't have the capacity to do that when they're younger. That's right. That's exactly right. And this mother even told me, she said her daughter's in her mid thirties now, she didn't even have the capacity to express that until just the last few years. So that was a lot of years of of internalizing that before she was able to express to her mother what she was going through.
1: Yeah, so hard.
0: Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. But just to be aware that there are people that interpret things differently than you, I think is so
1: valuable. Yes, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay,
0: we've got one last question, and that is how do we continue to guide and teach our children when they aren't open to talking about their feelings about the gospel.
1: You, you live it. You just, that's the most important thing is how you live, how you relate to others. You know, we're only as true as we behave, right? And so, you want your children to understand the core of the gospel through watching parents who are loving to one another, to the people around them who are not judgmental or simple-minded and are open-hearted in their relationship to uh, the child, to each other, to themselves. That's, That's giving your child the most important piece. A lot of times we think of our faith as like, you know, as Christ said, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That is, our religious practices, Church attendance, scripture study, temple attendance—all that is de- designed to facilitate our spiritual anchoring and our capacity. But, but importantly, our capacity to love. Yes. But a lot of us do what the Sadducees and Pharisees do, which mm-hmm. is we make those things the thing. Right. And so we're trying to get our kids to do the things, <laughs> rather than what's the larger goal? What's the spirit of the law here? Right, and even if my child's not being as orthodox or compliant or whatever as I think they ought to be, or I would be more comfortable if they were, or whatever, that you're really thinking about: do they understand the spirit of Christianity? Do they understand how to be in relationship to others? Do they are they reaching for this higher part of themselves? And um, that's the most important piece.
0: Yes, and. And these children might, I'm not sure of the ages, but they might be young enough to not be able to articulate their thoughts about the gospel. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I remember years ago that I was struggling like these parents are, Mm -hmm. and it took me about a year of just like dialing it back. Like what do, what's the most basic thing that I can do that I will have influence on my kids? And I came up and I dialed it back to three things. Mm -hmm. And that was that I needed to love and teach them, Mm -hmm. that I needed to provide opportunities in our home that they could feel the spirit. Mm -hmm. And the third one was that I needed to show them what an example of being happy and living the gospel looked like. And if I could do those three things, then I was going to, that was going to be far more influential than anything else that I could ever do.
1: A thousand percent. (laughs) (laughs) Because I know people that are like, here's the rules and everything, but the parents are harsh, judgmental, and so the kids either learn how to mimic hypocrisy or they say, I want nothing to do with it because my parents are hypocrites. But if you can use your faith to love your children, to live your life well, to embody that goodness, that's the most important piece.
0: Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. This has been a great hour to spend with you. I thank you so much for your time. Hey, if people want to find you and find more of your work and your courses and and your coaching and your um just what you do, how can they sure. do that?
1: So probably the the easiest way is just to go to my website, which is my name, which is finlayson fifecom and on there are is a podcast archive of lots of interviews like this that i've done um i also have a new subscription-based podcast called room for two which is me working with couples and doing um couples coaching so talking about you know real life relationship challenges and how uh people can see themselves differently to change and then i have five online courses that are made specifically for LDS couples and individuals around sexuality and self-development. So all that's to be found on the website website. and more. more. Yeah, Yeah.
0: exactly. (laughs) A lot of things that people can go to to get some help from you. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it, Jennifer. My pleasure, Tina. Thanks. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, we ask that you please rate and review the podcast so that more people can find and benefit from this information. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Fife and the work that she does, follow the links in the show notes below
1: for more information about her online courses, live events, and her free Facebook group.